You're listening to the Art of Dying Well podcast, making death and dying something we can all talk about. Well, hello, everybody. James Abbott here and welcome to the Art of Dying Well podcast, the first of 2024. Now, because it's that January edition, we always find ourselves making New Year's resolutions, don't we? I feel I shouldn't say Happy New Year to you. It's getting on a bit bit too much for that. But we make these resolutions. We sort of have that splurge at Christmas where we might overdo it left, right and centre. And then that period of either remorse or, mm, well, I think I should cut down on this and cut down on that and do these things in life that, that make things a bit better for me and those around me. And that's what we do. Now, there is a, there's a slight connection to that with uh, what we're going to talk about today with my guest, who is sitting opposite me. That's James McIntyre, who's a freelance journalist and biographer. And something quite extraordinary happened to you, James, didn't it, in May of last year in 2023. Pancreatitis, um, which one makes that assumption is treatable and won't cause you too many problems. But it did for you, didn't it? That's right, uh, James. Great to see you, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, I uh, barely knew what the pancreas was until I had some pain in my abdomen last May, as you say, and then uh, was rushed to hospital, and uh, it got pretty serious after that. That's right. And I'm not going to do that classic question of, what did that feel like? But, I mean, Mm. at the time... Did you know how serious it was? Because you ended up in a coma for some five weeks and in hospital for four months. That's a very long time. No one thinks with pancreatitis at that point that's what's going to happen. So when did you realise that, hang on, this might be quite serious? That's absolutely spot on. I mean, I had no idea really until I arrived at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in central London and they sent me straight after some blood tests and so on to ICU, um, to intensive care where I was told by medics or perhaps on the way up that this was very serious, that it was life-threatening, that I had an acute or severe form of pancreatitis and that that could be very serious. And then in the kind of week or so that there was between then and going into the coma, I had some pretty difficult discussions with consultants and, and other medics. You know, I was nil by mouth. I could not even drink water for part of that. It it was quite uh, sobering, to put it mildly. And indeed, talking of which, you know, I I had to think very hard about some lifestyle changes were I to survive. But at at that point, I was just put into a coma. I was told about the risks and I knew that there were risks. And I thought it would just be for a few days, but it was for five weeks. And within that, um, they were trying to complete a tracheostomy for breathing because I was really struggling to breathe, which is why they put me in the coma. Mm. And um, at that point, I did, I think, nearly die, it's fair to say. Um, And uh, I was uh, very lucky with some support around me, although I was obviously unconscious, yeah. Now, I'm I'm obviously hoping these aren't daft questions, but they're things that enter my head, such, such as when, you know, you've taken yourself to the Chelsea in Westminster they've then made it clear to you that this is serious and this is an ICU, an intensive care unit situation. Yes. How are you processing that? Are you thinking, hang on, this this sort of th- this shouldn't really be happening. Have I gone from being ill, yes, yeah. to something quite critical potentially? That's right. I mean, I had a human reaction where I think at first I was thinking, gosh, you know, to an extent, why me and uh, how has this happened? 
But I think over time, certainly after the coma, I, I began to realise that, uh, and, and I should add, sorry, that um, I was, albeit under the influence of fairly heavy painkillers, ready to die at one point. However, when I emerged, and they had clearly basically saved my life, I think my attitude shifted, partly on the advice of medics and indeed my sister, who very starkly told me that I needed to decide whether to live or die. Uh, and, and one of the medics said, you've got to become more positive in your attitude or you won't survive this because it was still turbulent after um, the coma. I did begin to give thanks, probably for the first time in my life, really, in a serious way. And uh, my attitude shifted. But yes, certainly at first I was thinking, how has this happened? I'm only 44. And uh, I, I, yeah, there was a lot of kind of confusion and, and lack of understanding for me. And really, this isn't that long ago. You know, we're speaking some seven, eight months afterwards. Yeah. It's recently. That's right. No, absolutely. Very recently. And here you are, thank God, literally in front of me talking to me um, when there was a lot of uncertainty there. At, at what point did you find yourself consciously, of course, because we know there was that period of time where, where you were in an induced coma? Mm. Um, did you consciously think, this is it for me, mm. and if I get through this, things have to change? When did that dawn on you? Absolutely. I think, looking at my messages and so on, just before I went under, as it were, into the coma, I sent a text message to a good friend of mine, a Catholic, and said, look, please just say a prayer that I'm given a second chance. And I think at that point, before the coma, just before the coma, I was aware that I needed to change. And I'm certainly aware of that now. And I think that although some friends who aren't necessarily believers questioned whether I would retain my faith, I would say actually that misses the point. The issue that I had to grapple with was a bit scarier and a bit more serious, which was that, okay, I have been given a chance to live, and I'm not saying that God makes conditions, but I felt it clear that I needed to do more than just proclaim that I'm a Christian or uh, think that I'm okay, but actually to make, make some, some changes. And you mentioned in your intro about January and New Year, and I think this, is a, this has been one big New Year for me where I need to seize life on the one hand, but on the other, respect the chance that I've been given uh, and not abuse it. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it, 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 again, please forgive me, I don't want it to be the wrong language, but it not feels like a rebirth. It feels like, you know, heading towards right. the light rather than the darkness. It's, it it does feel right. that existential. You know, and we're people of faith. But yeah. um, did, did you have any consciousness of their, you know, even perhaps when you were on? I mean, explain to me, I've never been in a coma, but mm. yes, is there I a know. moment where you have any consciousness or do, do you sort of now look back and try and piece it together and say did I know what was going on there or did yeah. I know what was going on there or you know did I sort of see a metaphoric path in front of me yeah. t t tell me if anything like that happened well <laughs> I was disappointed that I didn't have one of those encounters you occasionally read about where you see bright lights and you possibly encounter our Lord so perhaps that's a sign that I'm uh, not in as comfortable a position as I like to think I am but more seriously I did um, have some consciousness, I think, through people, through the medics, through this question that my sister asked about whether I wanted to live or die, which echoed to me. It really did echo the question that I've always been fascinated by, that, that, that Jesus Christ asks the man at the pools of Bethesda, 
wilt thou be made whole, to use the King James Version? Do you actually want to live and get better? And that was a wake-up call, along with one of the care assistants, uh, you know, who was just going off on leave, saying that um, she wanted to see when I got back that I'd changed my attitude to be more thankful, to be more positive, and that she knew, and others backed this up, that there was medical evidence in their experience that if you are positive, um, you, you're much more likely to get through it. So, yes, um, you're aware of different things, that relate in some ways, I think, to God and and, and the Holy Spirit. And before I come back to something that I think is incredibly painful during that period of time, something extraordinary, actually, do you ever think, having been through what you've been through, that a lot of people haven't been through? Mm. You know, if only I could say to people, you don't need to go through that to learn this lesson that I have rather painfully and, and in a very difficult way had to learn. Yes. Did you feel you can impart that onto people? Yeah, I mean, I think I was thinking about what I want to impart in this important role that you're playing, running this podcast on behalf of the brilliant um, Art of Dying Well Centre, which our friend Maggie Doherty runs, because it's so important in this secular, dominated world to realise that death and these kind of experiences are not a medical failure. They are part of... A natural process. Now, it's easy for me to say that because, you know, in some ways I'm an inadequate guest for you because I have the disadvantage of not having actually died. And so I can't speak about that too much, partly because I was in a coma. But what I think I do want to say is about complacency. And I was incredibly complacent, certainly years ago, and I think even up until last May, that, you know, you drift through life, you think that you're invincible at the age of 30 or 40. But it's incredibly awakening and sobering to have a privilege of realising that you can come incredibly close to death and emerge from it. And you must, you do have a duty to reflect. And I think, yes, people can skip that awful phase of being in hospital for four months and just seize life with eternity in mind, um, to use one of Maggie's terms you know, and realise that what you do on this earth has implications in another place and therefore you might want to change direction um, in certain ways. Do you know, it's it's funny because I was, I'm going to confess to this, yeah. I was watching Reacher. Oh yeah, on, <laughs> seen it, yeah, yeah. On, on Prime Video. And sometimes when you look at these these sort of secular shows, you know, so you know what it's like, yeah. it's a bit wham-bang, it's mindless entertainment. <laughs> but they were having, the, the two of them, Reacher and, and, and uh, the co-star in the car, were having yeah. this conversation, which was effectively about death and dying. Right. And so my ears pricked up, obviously. Absolutely. And um, the whole band is, is in trouble, two of them are captive, and he's sort of getting himself ready to go into this life or death situation. Yes. And his sort of deputy is saying to him, are you ready? You do know you're going to certain... This is pretty much certain death if you walk in there. Yes. And and he, he said something that I thought, flipping heck, I, I mean, can we recruit him for the art of dying well? Yeah. He, he said to her, have you lived well? Yes. Wow. Well, you just got to die well then. Wow, yeah. And I thought, well, that's actually... Our, you know, it's a secular show, but that's yes. a pretty religious message. That's great. You'll have to... So uh, I, I bookmark that. Get that clip out in some, yep. some way. Uh, no, exactly. That's right. And um, that's what you're all about. And I think it's incredibly important. I was very lucky in the coma because several clergy came, a Catholic priest friend 
and also uh, my Anglican clergy at my parish church. So I think I would have had a good death, but I'm certainly trying to have a better life as a result, yeah. Now, can I come back to that yes. that very difficult mo- yes, moment? Yes, absolutely. Um, because I know your mum mm. was very unwell, obviously. Yeah. Um, but tragically, she died whilst you were in that coma. Yeah. And for me, that brings up so many questions. I yes. mean, the frustration, the agony, the pain. And I don't want to make it worse. No, for you, no. Because I know how awful that, right. that must be. What? I mean, that takes it's not yeah. fair to a whole new dimension <laughs> of things. Can, can you just tell me mm. how, how you process that having to go through all your own things all mm. these questions that, that were asked of you and you were asking of yourself mm. yet with the grief aspect as well mm. the grief of losing your mother yes yes I mean as you'd expect just those last words you said there about losing your mother is pretty fundamental and it it was very hard oddly I somehow knew when I emerged from the coma that mum had died now I may have overheard something semi-conscious Although I think my family, my father specifically and my sister, uh, were pretty careful not to talk about it. In fact, they I now know that they were in a dilemma and wondering how on earth to kind of break it to me after the coma. But I did know that she died. In fact, I think one of the first things I said was, you know, mum has died, hasn't she? Now, she was very ill, as you said. But it is it is very, very hard because I have many regrets, you know, you think back, I last saw her just before I went into hospital in May. Uh, in fact, we overlapped in hospital, really, because um, she died in hospital in Taunton, at the, at the Musgrove Hospital in Taunton, and we spoke. But, you know, I again, it's about complacency. I regret the last encounters that I had. I also had a slightly tough time with her last Christmas. Again, all to be regretted, all, um, all wrong. So, but, you, but you didn't know that was going to be the last you time. Didn't so you've got know. to let yourself off a, a bit. <laughs> You're kind. Um, and I guess that's true. And But it is a wake-up call for me and perhaps anyone listening just to uh, think that anything can happen. And, and and But you're right. And actually, on a more positive note, you know, I do feel her presence. I feel comforted. She wasn't actually a religious believer and we didn't really discuss faith uh, for that reason. She was, in fact, pretty hostile, if I'm honest, to, to Christianity for reasons that I'm increasingly understanding uh, from, from her, her, her background. But I miss her, and, uh, but I'm comforted, and I've got a slight sense that it's conceivable that, as one would want, that the, the, the Lord has possibly sh- is shepherding her in, not that I'm necessarily going to the right place, but, but perhaps she is. Uh, they say you'll be surprised who's in heaven and who's not. So hope is the key and um, you know the ground of all my hope is that that, that this is not the end and that that, that we will encounter loved ones um, in another place on another shore yeah I, t- I totally agree with you and and again I, I was really moved by what you just said because I think your mum's always your mum yeah. you know she might have died yeah, but absolutely. she's always your mum and you're still learning from her absolutely you know more than with ever the ups and the downs yeah. and the things that you regret and the, the, the what ifs and so on but absolutely. clearly she's in a sense it's not about whether she was a religious person no, or not it really she, she's still your mum absolutely spot on James that's increasingly how I see it and that's very wise I completely agree with you so let's look beyond that then mm. so now you you have four months in hospital yeah that's a long time. It was long. A long yeah. time away from the world, if, if yes. one might put it that yes. way. You've but, talked very well about some, some very caring and, and decent people looking yeah. after you. But how, 
I mean, there must be that fuzzy confusion when you come out, when you finally come out of hospital, and you're thinking, is it about reintegrating? Do you sort of think, what, where am I? What's going on? Yeah. What do I do now? Oh yeah, and and by the way, it was a long time. They were desperate to get rid of me, as they made very clear uh, they needed the bed. Um, but and in the end, they had to take a gamble because I wasn't completely well when I was discharged. But in the end, you've got to create a bit of momentum, get you slightly better and get you out and see how it goes because actually I think in some ways it's better to be at home. No, you're right. I mean, the first challenge I faced was that I could barely walk. I feared that I'd been in a wheelchair for the rest of my life because I lost so much muscle and fat during the coma. But the amazing physios got me walking and uh, uh, I'm now pretty much back to normal. So there was physio... But yes, I had to lie very low when I first got out of hospital. I, I couldn't cope with busy high streets and certainly not the tube. Um, and I'm delighted to say I got the tube in today to see you and I'm back to normal in that sense too. But there was reintegration and there was also reassessment and there is reassessment of everything really, including faith. I mean, I, I was mentioning to you before we came on air just now that I'm reading this book by Richard Rohr on the book of Job and spirituality of suffering, as he puts it, which is fascinating. It just kind of, again, challenges so many assumptions about how God works and so on. So you're always thinking about that, and you're trying to give... Well, not trying, but you are just naturally, I think, giving thanks much more than you ever did. So there's, a, I feel different. I mean, I shouldn't say that I've kind of changed too much. Um, I've got to change much more, and I hope there's still time for that. I'm sure there is. So uh, no complacency again. But if you look at hospital as almost like, it's a bit like motor mechanics, you know, yeah. one bit for the body and, and then perhaps religion, Christianity, priests and yeah. vicars and, and other <laughs> ministers and, and your friends. Yes. You know, they they help the, the, the mental health, the spirituality, yeah. the rebuild. You've sort of got two things to rebuild, haven't you? Yeah, In order to, to get back to whatever normal is. Um, did you, is that yeah. must still be quite a raw process for you. Does it still feel yeah. like deep breath, yeah. there's a long way to go? Yes. I mean, I, funny, one of the nurses, a Catholic again, an Irish Catholic uh, woman, very decent, um, said you will psychologically crash when you get home uh, because there'll be a big high about getting out after so long and you'll crash. And that's sort of true. Although I'm lucky, I've been, despite having had my mental health challenges over the years, I feel stable and I feel... You know, today at least, full of, of joy to be here in every sense, including literally here with you, and life is, is good and, and life is a blessing. Of course it's a broken world. You know, it's incredibly difficult for lots and lots of people. I should add that my challenge last year were was a basically, as they say, a first world one. You know, I, mm -hmm. I wasn't taken hostage. I wasn't didn't have my home destroyed. I wasn't sort of blown up and so on. But I hope that 2024 will be calmer with a bit less drama on every front, yeah. But nonetheless, I think I can see why... I would understand why one would could come out of hospital after a long time and despite the fact you've been, if you like, metaphorically patched up in so many ways and then think, can I actually live in this world? Yeah. Is, 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 do you ever have that cold light a day type of flipping egg? They've done, their, they've done all they needed to do and now this is the challenge. Literally standing on my own two feet yeah. is the challenge. Yes, absolutely. Literally, that is what you think when you've got the Zimmer frame or the, the, the walking stick and so on, and you're sort of hobbling into church or wherever. But also psychologically, I think that's true. I mean, I think 
you know, you have to take a deep breath um, and you get down occasionally as before. But I must say, uh, you know, to answer your question honestly, I feel actually better. And it's a credit to what they did, I guess. But I feel better than I did beforehand at the moment anyway. And so I'm, I'm very lucky and I am, you know, literally trying to count my blessings. And again, not to put the spirituality to one side, but mm. does it feel like a second chance? Do you very much look at it that way? I do, to be honest. I mean, um, look, I was wasting my life before May last year. I, I was, um, you know, just drifting, uh, for want of a better word. And um, I try and live a slightly more wholesome life now. But that sounds very pious and, hypocr- and you know hypocritical because I'm still full of sin. I'm a miserable sinner. But um, <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> but I, uh, to be honest, it's hard to know how to answer this without being hypocritical. Although you could argue hypocrisy is kind of at least a start because you, you, it's the compliment that vice plays to virtue. But. I am, I'm not a better person at all, but I am, I, I, as I say, I'm more thankful. I'm more conscious, I think, of the effect that your life can have on other people. I genuinely think, trite though it sounds, it's harder for loved ones than it was for me, partly because of the morphine and so on, but actually it's much worse. If you've got to come to the hospital every day um, when your son, say, is in a coma, um, I think that's incredibly difficult. And... I realise the effect of my choices every day, lots of them, you know, and that what they will have on, on, uh, on my loved ones. So I think in that sense, for me, faith is less about grand visions of trying to kind of contribute to world peace or whatever than just trying to trim sin and trying to improve my own life a tiny bit so that I can have a little effect on those around me. I mean, I think Rowan Williams once said that holiness, which is something I personally, by the way, will never achieve uh, at all, uh, is not about piety or saintliness, but it's about making other people kind of feel better around you because of kind of the way you're living your life. And I think that's something to aspire to. Well, I think, James, I actually think you're underplaying it a bit, if I might say, (laughs) because we we chat, I don't need to say what we chatted about, but we, we chatted about a load of things before we started recording because yes, you and I kind of go back quite a long we do, way absolutely you know, we, it's, I, it's I, an absolute joy to see you <laughs> I remember been a long time. seeing you here kind of 10 years ago and yeah. uh, all sorts of, 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 of encounters over the years and you know I, I do want to take the chance to say uh, sounds sycophantic but actually I've got nothing to gain by saying you know you're a great uh, a great man and uh, it's great to uh, to see you and thank you I'm, I'm blushing. <laughs> but, but the truth is, yeah. and I really mean this, and it struck me when you were saying that about Rowan Williams, actually. I think you have learned a lot without being patronising. And I, I think I, I, my day is better having spoken to you. Not just because I'm glad you're not dead. Yes, that <laughs> not is. Not just because I'm bonus. looking opposite and thinking, <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a good man who's alive and has something to share. Those things are true. But that's that's not solely it you you said you said a lot of things very honestly and earnestly and I, I my day's better and actually i'll take on my job somewhat with renewed vigor because of what you said so i think there probably is a lot of learning there i think you're a good guy anyway but it, what's clear to me is you, you sort of talked about the trimmings but actually mm. that's still very hard for someone to make small moves is really yes. hard for someone yes. to recognize the things you can do better is really hard is. i think i'm stuck in that funk a little bit i've got to work out what i can you know how i can make those improvements 
I think by all accounts you're you're in a good place, James. But I would say about myself, uh, just to be clear that, um, and thank you for what you say. Uh, I appreciate that, and I will try and absorb that. Uh, what I would say is I'm only at the point where I recognise what what's wrong and what needs to be done. I haven't delivered on it, and that needs to come next, definitely. Yeah, but give yourself a chance. I mean, it's, it, it wasn't all that long ago. That's true. Uh, and, but and you I, are, you're looking I've at your life, months. which, as I say, I don't yeah. think is easy for anyone. <laughs> and there is a slight sense of unworthiness when you look at your life, particularly if you start to think, what can I change? There is. You know, all oh, these are only small things, or I'm, I'm not ready yet to do this, or, or I'm not doing that, and I should be doing that sort of self-flagellation. Yes. Which I think we do all suffer. We actually. do. And, it, and actually, it's... I think I took it to an ungodly extreme, actually. I think that one other thing that I've learned is not that God loves me, because I wouldn't dare to say that necessarily, although I do think doctrinally God does love us. Uh, but it's more that um, you do develop, I think, as perhaps as you experience life, a sense that, um, well, I suppose a more Catholic sense, really, of, yeah, just turning away from kind of self-hatred, having a little bit more self-respect for the sake of the God who created us and loves us. And, uh, you know, you've got to move forward with some confidence as well. So I want to balance what I said earlier with that, if, if possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. And do you remember when we, we were sort of also saying that it, it's okay to die, actually? Absolutely. absolutely. Lots of us are terrified by death, but death is a... As Catherine Mannix uh, says, um, who you know very well, you know she describes death beautifully, and uh, and and death is 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 perhaps a, a gateway to Jordan and to beyond, and uh, it, it can be very peaceful and beautiful, and it's worth making preparations for a good death. But in the meantime, also living uh, a good life and not seeing death as the end, but also not seeing it as a failure on anyone's uh, part. And if we could drop some of our fears and uh, talk about it in the way that you are on this and elsewhere, then I think that would be a very good thing indeed. Yeah, um, totally agree. And let's finish where we started in yes. a sense. And I was worried it was a bit trite. I'm all the more worried after the conversation we've had. <laughs> but, but I was talking about those New Year's resolutions. Yeah. And you just said something that I think is... It's a little bit St. Therese, one might say, from a Catholic <laughs> perspective. It's finding those small things that you can do to make someone's life better. The little things that are actually very powerful. And I've just said, and please do absorb it, you've mm. made my life better today. So that's, a, that's a big thing for me, well, so, selfishly. <laughs> so maybe, may, maybe that awareness and looking at how we can just do the simple things to make other people's lives better. That's not that's a right. bad thing. What else do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I feel exactly the same about this encounter, uh, by the way. Um, I think, yes, it's... I think another thing is to perhaps, when in doubt, say nothing or do nothing in the sense that someone... Every day, someone will say something to you that uh, challenges how you feel. And, of course, one has to be robust and hit back and so on. But on the other hand, letting things go, I suppose turning the other cheek to be trite again is another way uh, that you don't escalate problems. But also, yes, I mean, I think if we're making a, a list, it should start with um, the impact that we have on others, you know, and being positive. And as I keep saying, although I am going to say it again, it is giving thanks. It is a, a positive attitude. That's the biggest thing I've learned, I suppose. An attitude of gratitude or whatever you call it. And perhaps starting each 
period of prayer with with that. And I'm talking again hypocritically because for 43 years or whatever, I have not done that. But I'm learning it's a great way to get yourself set up for the day. And I, the truth is, James, I confess I can't really go beyond that because mm. it would be kind of delving even deeper into the world of hypocrisy for me to advise others on how to live other than to say life is, is good. I think the world is, despite me calling it broken, a good place. God created it. Um, so it must be With good. essentially good people. With good people. People have good hearts. That is absolutely right. So I'm going to add one more to the list to yeah. conclude, if you don't mind. Please do. Perhaps that we're, we're kind to ourselves whilst we're working all this through. It's, it's, exactly. It's a, literally, it's an eternal process. Exactly. This sort of self-perfection or this, this quest to be a better person. Absolutely. Um, I think that's incredibly important. You know, self-hatred, which I have kind of wallowed in for many years, is not a faithful way to live. It's a, you have to live with hope and joy in your heart. And... The other thing I would say, you know, love yourself because God loves you and, uh, you know, have a bit of hope. And also be more Catholic. I speak as a Protestant, <laughs> but be more Catholic. In other words, be lighter, be light, be, be joyful and uh, spread a bit of humour as well. Not that I have today. Oh, you've done a grand job. Mm. Listen, James, thanks very much for your time. Thank thanks you for so telling much. that story. Thank you, it's, James, it's for giving me the opportunity. Very tough in many, many places. No, you're more, more than welcome. Right, we can shake hands. We're not in COVID times. (laughs) Thanks very much. God willing. Thank you. Cheers.